Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. It was September 22nd, 2013. It was a day that for years I had been praying about. For months, a group of people had been preparing for, getting ready for, and the night before, we had stayed up super late just to set up and get ready for it. It was the very first day of Venture Church meeting the way we do now. And for six to nine months before this, we had been meeting in people's houses and living rooms and different places around town. There were 25 or 30 of us. But this was the day. This was our kind of our grand opening, our launch Sunday. We had put a lot of energy in telling the community about it. We put signs out. We'd mailed stuff away. We put stuff on Facebook. It's out. It's going to happen. And it was 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, and I was stressed out. <laughs> I was like, what's going to happen? Is anybody going to come? Is it going to work? And uh, I'll tell some more of that story in a couple of weeks. September 16th, we celebrate our fifth birthday. Can we give it up for God? Five years. Five years, it's a, big, it's a big mile marker in the life of a church, and uh, it was five years ago that we gathered around to do that. Uh, I want to invite you to come on the 16th. I want everybody there, including your friends who don't want to do church, because we're going to be celebrating what God has done, and we're going to be talking about what God is going to do. It's a birthday party, so don't come empty-handed. Bring a present. We are collecting non-perishable food items for our local food bank. Uh, our friends over at Cape Fear Christian Church do one every, uh, every other Thursday, and we want to just continue to help stock their uh, shelves. And so come with, uh, we'll have a specific list as we get closer of what exactly you can bring, but you probably have stuff in your cabinet that you just haven't used in long enough, but it's still good. Bring that. And that's uh, what better way to celebrate our birthday than to help feed hungry people in need. Isn't that a great thing to do? But it was five years ago, and it was a beautiful day, and it was a, a, a momentous day, and it was... It was a day that, uh, for me, will always go down as one, just this big day in my life. But here was the thing. It was also kind of a weird day. Because the question that we were all asking is, what is this all about? Why are we doing this? Aren't there already churches in Wilmington? Do we really need another one? And the, the craziest thing is that that group of 20 or, or 30 of us that were meeting in houses and stuff, um, we were hoping that some people would show up that weren't already us. What we weren't prepared for is that over 100 first-time guests came that first day. That's what happens when you send a lot of junk mail. People are like, stop sending mail. Okay, I'll come to your thing. So they came, and they all came with the same question we had. What's this all about? Why is this different? Why is this happening? Why do I need this in my life? Um, Well, our postcard that we sent out and the ads that we had online said, give church a try. And it says, we are church for people who don't like church, which is a really confusing sentence. You're like, what does it mean to be church for people who don't like church? So the answer we gave that day and the answer we continue to give is our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church and away from God so that we could build a bridge to the thing that matters most, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there's just been so much baggage and extra stuff that happens and so many people have been turned away from church. And so we want to be one more place in this city. It happens in a lot of churches, but we want to be one more place where if they would give church a try, they would try it with us. And, and that, was, that was neat, But deeper than that, the question is why? And so that Sunday and many Sundays after that and continuing on for the last five years, we have said, well, because together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. 
And that's our little thing. It's our little moniker. It's the thing that we throw out there. It's the backbone of who we are as a church. It's our bigger goal, not just to be church in a different way, because when you get right down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's church for people who don't like church. But those of us who stick around, we love church. It's not just to be different than church. It's to be the church, to be that for each other. Why? Because we want to grow closer to God. We want to be God-chasing put him at the center of our life. We want to be grace-shaped. We want to know what it means to come into his forgiveness through his grace and be changed by that. We want to be love agents so that because God is working in us, it overflows into the world beyond us. And so last week, we started a teaching series. It's actually a sequel teaching series. We've done it once before back in 2015 called Manifesto. It's what we're about. A manifesto is like, this is why we're here. It's just a reminder. As we get geared up for this fall season, and I'm going to tell you, this is about to happen. In three or four weeks, we're going to see a lot of new faces that we've never seen before. It happens every fall. The question is, can we mobilize ourselves to get into the lives of other people and show them the love and the grace of God so that they want to stay and be a part of this family and see what God can do in their life? If you're here right now, it's because that's begun to happen with you. And you might be someone who's here on the very first time and, and, and it's, this is kind of like, okay, it feels like you're not talking to me right now. No, I totally am. This church exists for everyone in this city. We want to shine the light of God into the darkness of everyone's life. And, and we want that to be something that can be accessible to everyone, no matter their background, no matter their baggage, no matter where they're coming from. And so we want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Jesus put it this way, and this is actually where we kind of get this phrase from. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said, we should, someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, well, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. He said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And so that's where this idea came from. Uh, Last week, we talked about what it means to be a God chaser. We looked at the life of King Josiah. And so go catch up on our podcast with that if you missed that. But it's just a great idea of saying, what does it mean to actually like take ourselves from the darkness of this world and let the light of God shine through us and change us? And he was, was able to change a nation. This week, we dive into the question, what does it mean to be grace shaped? Grace shaped. Grace is a word I think we all kind of get, like sort of naturally, like we... Uh, when you have a bill to pay, credit card payment, car payment, house payment, there's normally some sort of a grace period, right? So that's when the bank or the lender says to you, you know, the bill's due on the first, but we're so graceful. We have so much grace. We'll give you till the fifth and you can work that out. Now on the sixth, if you don't pay, we're going to come take your car, but you have grace. So that's a grace period. It's like this period of like, you know, forgiveness. Um, you, you, you know graceful people. You think of a ballerina or an acrobat. Maybe uh, you're not super graceful, but you trip and you fall and you kind <clears> of <throat> play it smooth. And that's kind of like, I guess that's kind of graceful. I don't know. Uh, we kind of get grace, but what does it really mean? Well, when most people think about grace, uh, one of the closest synonyms we find for it is mercy. Uh, it's, it's a really good synonym for grace. Uh, mercy is very similar to grace. Mercy is when you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. That's mercy. So you get pulled over by the police officer, Officer Wilson, sorry, I didn't mean to, and Officer Wilson's feeling nice, and so he's like, all right, I'm going to let you off with a warning, or he might just do nothing. And so you deserved a ticket, you deserved a punishment, but you didn't get it. That's mercy. Grace is like mercy to the next level. So check out grace. It's a little confusing, so put on your thinking cap, okay? Grace is receiving a reward when you don't deserve it. Mercy is you deserve a penalty, and you get a pardon, Okay? That's mercy. You deserve to be punished, but you don't get it. Grace is like, okay, maybe that's true, but you also get a reward on top of that. So Officer Wilson pulls you over, and not only does he not give you a ticket, that's mercy, but he says, you know what? Here, here's the keys to my personal car. I don't need it. You can go have my Corvette back at the house. I got this squad car. It's good enough. And he gives you 
like something on top of it. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. Grace is an undeserved gift, not just forgiveness, but blessing. You see the difference? It's like a next level of mercy, and it's really awesome. And that's how God gives us both, mercy and grace, and they're virtually interchangeable. I'm not going to try to split hairs over it. But it's really beautiful, the picture of what God gives us. Not only does he just let us off the hook for our sin, he gives us the free gift of salvation, eternity with him, life full of his Holy Spirit in us. Like it's a, wow, and we don't deserve that. What does it mean to be grace-shaped? Every week we look to the Bible for answers to life's most important questions. So we're going to be in a book of the Bible that you might not have read recently. I know I hadn't. Uh, the book of Numbers. It's in the very beginning of our Bibles. Go ahead and grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones out in the lobby you can go grab, or at least get one on your way out. It'll be on the screen behind me. My guess is if, uh, if you've been a Christian for long, uh, maybe your whole life, you might have been a Christian for 50 years, there's a good chance that this passage I'm about to read, you've never even thought about it. Uh, I know as I looked through it, like I kind of knew it was there, but as I got into it, I was like, this is crazy. This is kind of a weird thing that God does. Numbers will be in chapter 35. Numbers is in the very beginning of the Old Testament. This is the period way before Jesus comes as God in the flesh. And God right now in the book of Numbers is setting up the nation of Israel. And he's giving them some rules about how they should like organize themselves. And in this portion, he's dividing up the land that they had just been given by God. And he's telling them what to do with this land, how to and where to establish cities and where you know, where the the actual geography should be set up. And we get to Numbers 35, starting at verse 10, and we read this. He says, speak to the Israelites. He's talking to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. Let that sink in. They will be places of refuge from the avenger. Not the Avengers, that's like superheroes. This is the Avenger, we'll talk about them. So that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. These six towns you will give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan, three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be places of refuge for Israelites, aliens, and other people living among them so that anyone who has killed someone accidentally can flee there. Okay, this might seem like a fairly obscure arrangement. Uh, As I read this passage, um, it's not one that you hear a lot. If you grew up in church, it's not in the pantheon of Sunday school lessons. David and Goliath, Noah's Ark, Cities of Refuge didn't make it. It wasn't in the story list. And so there's a good chance you haven't really focused on it. It's also just kind of weird because this is places for people who have accidentally killed someone. Like how often does that happen? Does it happen a lot? Are there people just accidentally killing people all over the time? I don't know. As I looked through it and studied it and began to think about this is ancient times, life is hard, okay? Life is rough. Life was fragile and people died all the time. Just, just what? Well, we were out on the field and you know, Jebediah didn't make it. He just didn't make it today. And so, you know, we're just like dealing with that. And so maybe that was part. There were no safety helmets at work. OSHA was not breathing down anybody's throat, making sure people were washing their hands after they eat. Like, no, that's happening. And so it was a rougher, more dangerous time going on in, in this time period. Also, um, culturally, so if you're working and you accidentally killed someone, culturally, the, the response to that for justice, like there was kind of a legal system, but it was completely acceptable to do this. You would kind of go back to your family and be like, hey, they killed our guy. And so you would gather together and it'd be like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You remember the old feud stuff? And you would just say, okay, who's going to be our avenger of blood? And then that person or that group of people would then go and find, hunt them down and kill them. 
This was actually an acceptable practice. This is how we, you know, kind of hand out justice. Well, you kill one of ours, so we're going to kill one of yours. That's just how, this is how this went down. Now, God kind of, I guess, accepts this part of their culture. He says, listen, that's going to happen, okay? Hopefully, there's going to be trials and stuff like that. That's going to happen. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up cities of refuge so that if this ever happens, someone could come in and come to the city of refuge and find sanctuary until they stand trial. And it's actually right there. If you read the passage, God says, listen, if, if they leave the city limits, that's their own dumb fault. Like, because it's fair game. It's on. They got to stay inside the city until the leave. This is really, I read this. I'm like, wow, this is really part of the Bible. This is a thing that God sets up. You remember when you were a kid and you played hide and seek or tag and then there was base? This is base. <laughs> I, oops, I killed someone. I've got to go to Capernaum. I don't think that was one of them. But you got to go to a city of refuge. So God does this interesting thing. He sets up these, these bases, these cities of refuge for people to be safe from the avengers of blood. Um, now, this is weird. It also sounds like the makings of like a, um, like a Netflix original series, Cities of Refuge. And people are just in there hiding out. Uh, I've got questions. My biggest question is, how do you accidentally kill somebody? Like, I think I can be more careful than that. Um, the passage gives us some examples. Verse 22 and 23 gives some examples. I think it's still in Numbers 35, but like you can just read through it. But like, for example, one of them is like, if, you, if a person pushes someone or like accidentally throws something at them and it accidentally kills them, like that could happen. You're working in the field and it's like, hey, Chris, can you hand me the javelin? I'm like, yeah, Gary, catch. Oh, probably shouldn't have thrown that. <laughs> you know, it's, I get that kind of thing just happens. Uh, another example, though, it says if, if a person drops a stone on someone and accidentally kills them. And so imagine you're building a big stone wall and you're working at the bottom, guys working at the top and you're just working and things happen. Again, there's no helmets. There's not, they're not taking these precautions. And so the city of refuge is there as a precaution in case these things happen. And so these people can have a chance to a fair trial. And basically, there are some rules set up about what it has to be more than one witness, and there's other things that you have to come to the leaders of the city, and it has to be talked out. It's an interesting concept. As God is establishing his nation, this is one of his criteria. Like, of all the things he could have done, this is one of the things he does. And so I want to take a step away from that. I want to put that in perspective and just think about it. Um, so go here with me for a minute. Uh, America. America. America is arguably one of the best places in the world to live. I don't want to get political about it. I just want to say to be in a place where it's free and we can elect our leaders, that's a big deal you know, internationally. That's a big deal. And so that's not even my point, that it may, but America's a really, a really good nation. And to establish this nation, our forefathers did a lot of work. And they had a lot of really good ideas. They drafted documents like the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. They come in, they're like, this is kind of how we want to shape things. They write all kinds of papers. They debate about it. They compare ancient Roman and Greek models and other European models and say, which part of this do we want to use? They set up the bicameral legislation and our three branches of government to check and balance each other. Like, this is a pretty, pretty intense process. They put a lot of work into it. These are the ideas our country was built on. Now, this is where we are. We're taking this thought. Have you ever asked yourself the question, if God established a country, what would he do differently? What would he do? What would it look like? Well, you don't have to wonder because he did that one time. He established the nation of Israel. And when he sets up all these rules and laws and situations, he has all these good things. And it's interesting. When you look at the places that our world is broken and you compare them to the way, the weird things that God asked the Israelites to do in their nation, you can go point by point through these things. 
like the breakdown of the family and on and on it goes. But you're like, man, if only, if only we did things more like God would have us do them. Do you know God did not want the Israelites to have a king to start with? He's like, I want me to be your leader and you're gonna be, you're gonna be kind of ruled by the law of, of theology and, and, and religious stuff. And like, it's a whole different conversation, but he's like, I don't, you don't need a king. What you need is me. And they started to spin off and go different ways, like different countries. And the more they did that, the more the nation of Israel falls apart. If God was going to establish a nation, he's gonna do things a lot different. And uh, as we look at this thing that God does, it teaches us a lot about his character. One of the rules as he establishes his nation is, I want you to set up cities of refuge for when people make completely boneheaded decisions when people do like one of the worst things you could do, that at least they'd have a chance to experience grace. If we were creating a nation, it would not have even crossed our mind <laughs> to create places where people who have done like the worst crime you can do could go and we just welcome them into this town. Can you imagine living in these cities? Wait, we're a city of refuge? I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. And you're starting to question all your neighbors and you don't know if it's even safe to send your kids to school. And I can't imagine what the conversations look like when you meet people in the park. Hey, cool. You new to town? Sweet. What brings you here? Oh yeah. Well, I accidentally killed my neighbor with a pitchfork. So yeah, I'm just waiting trial. It's going to be a couple months. Oh really? Me too, actually. Uh, I was just plowing, plowing my field. I didn't even see the guy. I just right through him. And you know, oh, really? like I don't want to get the picture that like everybody in this city was a murderer. They weren't. It was probably very few and far between. But this is a city that openly welcomes murderers as citizens with full amnesty. Whew. This is God's design. Now, every city is not like this. Only six out of all the many cities he's established. Now, in a way, in a very big way, we would shy away from that whole concept, wouldn't we? No way. No, no, no. If there's even a chance that they killed somebody on purpose, I don't want them in our city. I don't want them in my, in my park. I don't want them next door to me. I don't want them at the market with me. That's not how we would naturally organize things. Because as human beings, we have this thing. We grade people based on their performance. Every single time you make an interaction with someone, you decide this in your head. This, the question and the answer that you determine instantly almost is, is this person good enough? You do. I had to go to Walmart last night at 10.30. Woo! You walk, and I'm just like, and I'm like, this message is convicting on my heart, grace. And I'm looking around just thinking about people. And in my heart, without even like being like a jerk or, or, or like hateful, I'm immediately telling people's narratives. And my, oh, well, I wonder what's going on in that situation over there. We walk around and we immediately judge people based on their performance. And it begins when we're kids. And some of us as parents have to wrestle with this thing. We want our kids to do well, but some of you grew up in a home where it's like, man, if I don't perform, if I don't get straight A's, if I don't do good on the baseball team, if I don't do this and this and this, I'm not sure that my parents love me. That's a reality for so many people. Maybe that was you. And, and guess what? Maybe you brought that into your own family. If you have kids of your own, it's, it starts young. And it's not just the parents, it's kids on kids. That's where it's worse. The worst social experiment in the world that every kid has to endure is the picking of teams for kickball. It's terrible. And you know who's going to go first. That kid's always first. That's not the question. The question is, please don't pick me last. Am I going to go last? Because that's the worst place to be. Why? Because we're judged on performance. And when it happens there, it sticks with you for the rest of your life. The things that you begin to hear early and often, they form your identity so that as an adult, you begin to believe. You look in the mirror and you're like, I'm last pick. 
I am not good enough. I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. I know it. And you're like, I'm not worthy. And it continues on and on and on. It doesn't stop at the playground. The rest of our life goes like that. We accept and we choose people based on performance. And, and be honest, when you were dating, or maybe you're still dating now, and you're, you're like playing the field, you know who you're looking for? You're looking for a 10. On your best day, you might be a four, 4.5, like to give you some credit, but you won't settle for anything less than a 10. Why? Pfft, nothing's good enough. Nothing's good enough. I'm grading based on performance. They got to get all check boxes. Maybe they need to give me some grace, but I got to have it all, right? Are you an employer? Are you a manager? Do you own a business? You got two, two resumes in front of you, one with a really great resume, one that needs a lot of development. Who are you going to hire? It's a no-brainer. We it just instinct, instinctively, we hire and, and, and choose relationships and move forward with people based on their performance. It's true, and sometimes it's okay. It actually helps us sometimes. It's healthy in many ways. I'm not just slamming the process. I'm just pointing out this really big distinction about the way we perceive people in the way God does. Because if we're honest, the most sobering truth is none of us are perfect. None of y'all are a 10, except for my wife. Um, no, even her. She would say, look, I've got faults. I've got failures. I've got all these doubts. I've got the whatever, boom, boom, boom. We could make a list of all the things that make us imperfect. And we approach a perfect God and we're like, can you work with this? Um, I've used this illustration a bunch of times here. Here it is again. Plato. Um, actually, uh, the, the two weeks before we had our grand opening service, I did this exact same illustration. Um, life works like this. Uh, we may not be perfect now, but when we were born, when God created mankind, he created us in his likeness and in his image, he created us perfect. And, and I liken it to a can of Play-Doh. That's why I was at Walmart at 1030 last night. Um, you see, you ever open up a brand new can of Play-Doh? Yeah, somebody just want to eat it. No. Um, it's this perfect cylinder. It fits. comes right out. It's, it's beautiful. But then you begin to play with it. And, 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 you know, as we begin, like, all of us have skills. And so, you know, most of us master, like, the snake pretty early on. Like, I'm pretty good at this. And, and then, like, the advanced, you know, students are, like, you're, you're working on the sphere, which is, like, that's, that's level two stuff. And then what the benefit of the sphere is that it immediately turns into the pancake. And so like, there's like some, that's your first three moves with Play-Doh, okay? And, and it's beautiful. And the potential in this Play-Doh is so, so cool. Um, I just looked last night at Walmart, the weird things that they sell to you that you can make out of Play-Doh. There's one that's a dentistry kit. You can make like teeth and braces. Have y'all seen this? We, we just made like worms. I mean, these kids are, these are like orthodontists. Um, but uh <laughs> But anyway, so that's what happens, and the potential is, is you know, in terms of Play-Doh, it's almost limitless, but if you've got kids, you know that that doesn't last long. First of all, they start mixing it with the other colors, and you end up with something kind of brown or gray, and then it's on the carpet, and it's like, you know, fuzz, and then like maybe some dog hair, and then like a Cheerio, and some dirt, and like before long, it's like, it's nasty, and it's just, here's the thing, this is life. We are born with so much potential but then things happen and life begins to happen with us and it begins to shape us. And it starts with 
kickball and our parents, but it moves on beyond that. And our opportunities or lack of opportunities and our relationships, whether they're good or whether they're bad, they all begin to shape us. And then we walk into a setting like this, whether it's here or at work or in your dating relationships, in your marriage, whatever it is, and, and this is what you got left. It was this beautiful you know, cylinder, but now it's like, this is what I got. And then what's, what's even more complicated is they bring their own lump of mess. And then you just sit there, look at each other's lump of Play-Doh, and you're like, mm, can we make this work? And then this is what we do, start to do naturally. On our own, we begin to try to put things back in place. And we try to just fix it, and so we fake it, and we hide our flaws. We try to forget our faults. We try to minimize our bad habits, maybe put that on the bottom. You know, We try to normalize our struggle. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's got lumps and bruises. Uh, we don't talk about our weakness. That's one thing, to sweep it under the rug. We rationalize our sin. At least I didn't do that. I didn't accidentally kill someone or on purpose kill someone. I'm not as bad as them. I don't kick my dog. I'm not the worst person in the world. Uh, we get used to our insecurities. And then, like, we got something that's kind of close to what we started with, but it's not. And, and when we get right down to it, we are more like those boneheads in Israel than we're willing to admit. Maybe you didn't accidentally kill someone, but did you ever on purpose lie to them? Did you ever on purpose cut somebody down? Have you ever on purpose pushed God away? And we just try to make it work. What do we do with this? What we need, what the world needs, what the city of Wilmington needs, what New Hanover County needs, what our state needs, what we need is a city of refuge, a place where we can bring that. A place where people can walk in and say, look, this is what I got. And everybody else is like, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's okay. And God has established that. And it's called the church. The church is supposed to be a place of refuge and acceptance and love and belonging and forgiveness to the boneheads and the rejects and the screw-ups. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's odd that so many people see church as a place for well-dressed, shiny people. It's not what the church is. It's never what it was intended to be. When you look at Jesus establishing the church, look who he did it with. If you look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, this is a crazy story, uh, it's, and it'll be on the screen here. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so he's having a dinner party, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. And we've talked about this before, but uh, in case you missed it, this phrase, tax collectors and sinners, that was a, a first century Jewish way of saying scumbags and scoundrels and losers and rejects. That the tax collectors and sinners was like, a, it was like a blanket group of like, eh, we don't want to hang out with them. If you, don't, if you want to be a good people, don't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Guess who Jesus is having a meal with? Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so these Pharisees, we talked about them a lot, but this was a very religious group of Jews. They were focused on strictly sticking to the Jewish code of, of, of ethics and their law, and they were the shiny, well-dressed people. And anyone who wasn't as good as they were, well, one of their big things that they really struggled with was like, who do you eat with? Who do you share meals with? Because they're unclean. I can't sit with them. I can't be at their house. And so they call out Jesus, and basically they say to his disciples, trying to build some doubt into their mind, they say, Look, your teacher is hanging out with scumbags and lowlifes. Like, surely he's not fit to be a teacher. You shouldn't be hanging out with Jesus. I love this. Jesus, we don't even know at this point that Jesus is like listening into the conversation, but his reaction is priceless. Verse 12 says, on hearing this, Jesus said, 
it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Like if anyone needs this message that I'm teaching, it's these people because they're messed up and that's why I'm here. And then he adds in this verse, verse 13, pay close attention to what he says. He says, he says it to the Pharisees, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Just leave that on the screen for a second because we'll get back to it. The Pharisees, I said they were part of this Jewish sect who were very uh, strictly followed the Old Testament scriptures and they knew it all, okay? They knew this. And so what Jesus does here, he actually quotes one of their famous uh, prophets, a guy named Hosea. Hosea was dealing with the people a lot like the Pharisees, actually. And as he was talking to them, they were doing all the ceremonies and they were just shiny, well-dressed people. And God speaks through Hosea and tells them, listen, you know what I want from you? I want your heart. I don't want your ceremonies. I want your heart. And what he says is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, these Pharisees, they knew that passage. They probably taught lessons on it. They probably did vacation Bible school and did that lesson. Like that was, that was a lesson that they taught over and over again. What did Jesus say? He says, look, why don't you go and learn what this means? Ouch. Like they know it. They know what it means. But Jesus says, obviously you don't because I didn't come for the righteous. I'm not here for you shiny, well-dressed people that think you got it all together. I'm not here for that. I came for sinners. I came for people who are far from me for boneheaded, reject, screw-ups. I came for people who need me in their life. Jesus came as a savior. His mission was to seek and save the lost. And he imparts that mission on us, the church, as a city of refuge. That day, five years ago, I had a man come up to me after church. Some of you, you know him. And he came up to me and I said, man, it's good to see you here this morning. He said, uh, yeah, it's great, great. I said, what brought you here? He said, um, well, I heard this was the church for the messed up people. <laughs> and I just laughed. I was like, I don't know where he read that. It wasn't on anything we sent out. <laughs> but I was like, you read between the lines, bro. Yes, welcome to the party. <sighs> that is what the church needs to be. We've got to be a community of people who are grace-shaped not grading on performance because you're good enough or because God says you're not good enough, but I am. And then that blob of Play-Doh that's your shape when you bring it into the community that you're in, he says, let me have that. Let me have that. Now, now there's a whole other analogy we could make. Like he gives you a brand new can of Play-Doh and he does. He makes this new creation. But here's the beautiful thing. We still have our baggage. The beautiful thing is he can use that. I can work with that. I can help you help someone else. And he begins to reshape us. Not by our circumstances, not by our relationships, not by our opportunities, but by his grace, by his forgiveness, giving us purpose, giving us reason and giving us a desire not only to just be reshaped and like, sweet, I fit back into the container and you got the Cheerios out. But so that we can take that gift and share it with someone else. Jesus says, I came for the tax collectors and sinners. I came for the people who accidentally murdered someone. Guess what? I came for the people who murdered people on purpose. I came for people struggling to find their, their identity. I came for people struggling in their marriages. I came for people hurting in their finances. I came for people who have done really bad things or from people who have been pretty much goody goodies their whole life but have never submitted their lives to me. I came for them. I did not come to call the righteous, but for sinners. 
the church is a city of refuge. It's got to be a place of healing, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace. And that's why we're here. I think a lot of us took the message of being grace-shaped people to heart five years ago. and we, we formed a family. It's been beautiful. But our, our mission has not ended. In fact, it's just begun. You are the missionary to this city. Not me. I'm a missionary to this city, yes. But all of us are sent by God with a grace mission and tell people that God knows that there's a mess, but he's got a fix for it. His name is Jesus. And you might be new to all this. I'm so glad you're here. I just invite you to stick around one more week as we continue this series, Manifesto. Come back on the 16th as we celebrate our birthday. Stick around every week. We'd love to plug you in uh, with people at our church family so you could get to know them because it, the grace really happens on a family level. It happens when you have a one-on-one. When you can text somebody at church, you know that grace begins to happen. As people who are grace-shaped, we've got to be grace givers. Venture Church. Together, we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And this place has got to be a city of refuge. Let's pray. God, I love you. Uh, and, and I know that the city of refuge thing doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. In fact, most often it happens in living rooms and um, <laughs> sitting in, uh, in cars together, talking on road trips and hanging out at parks. That's, that's where the real grace happens as we, as we help each other know your love. Father, as we... Um, as we take that challenge to heart, Lord, I, I just ask that you give us the strength to deal with our own mess. When we look in the mirror and we think I'm not good enough, or when we, maybe we look in the mirror and, and we think too highly of ourselves, um, that we'll step back and know that only your grace gives us purpose. Only your grace gives us forgiveness. We can't earn it. We're not good enough. But through your son, Jesus, we're made uh, full. <laughs> you've, you, you've created a fullness in us and a new life. And we thank you for that. Father, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.